Money FM 89.3, the best of the breakfast huddle. Why it matters on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It's the Breakfast Huddle with Elliot Danker. Let's get into today's Why It Matters topic. You know, many people are increasingly concerned about digital security, and rightly so, right? According to a report by blockchain analysis firm Chainalysis, an alarming $1.9 billion worth of cryptocurrency was stolen in hacks of various services. And this happened within the just seven months of this year, marking a 60% in Increase from the same period in the year prior. Now, beyond cryptocurrency, it's becoming more pertinent that even before that, you need to protect these digital assets like, you know, files. I'm sure we've come across that at work, especially in a time where hacking or, you know, phishing scams, all these numbers are really on an all time high. Now, to suit the needs of a new generation, our next guest, UKIS, has launched their state of the art security ecosystem. It's perfect for crypto investors, both new and veteran, as well as those looking for a solid way to safeguard their assets. We're going to find out more about the importance of securing digital and crypto assets and how we can do this in a non-evensive way. On the line with me is Ben Chan, Director for UKIS Technology. Good morning, Ben. Hi, good morning, good morning. Uh, I suppose I'd like to understand the story behind the name of your company. Tell us more. Okay, uh, UKIS, right? So we were coming up with a name to let the user know that we want the user themselves to keep their own assets, digital assets and crypto assets simple and secure. So in the end, we came out with this acronym, You Keep It Safe and Secure. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Nothing to do with actual kissing. Huh? Oh, what's your presence uh, like yeah, in... Uh, prison, but not much. <laughs> <laughs> what's your presence like uh, in Singapore and Southeast Asia? Uh, we started about 1.5 years ago, so now we are into Singapore, in uh, Thailand, and in China, uh, some parts of other countries in Southeast Asia. So we are still in the beginning, we are calling this a uh, soft launch stage, and we are getting out, selling our products and getting feedback from our users so that we can perfect it and make it better. Yeah. Ah, okay. So Ben, I understand that you are a computer science expert, about 30 years of experience in the IT industry. So now this is new thing they call DeFi, decentralized finance. It's starting to gain quite a bit of popularity. What are your thoughts on it? What kind of risks do you see that come with it? Uh, yes, I've been in IT for more than 30 years since I graduated from NUS. So uh, DeFi actually became popular in 2020 because it is one of the first real use case of a blockchain before that blockchain was very just uh, speculation. If you know. So uh, DeFi is able to operate without human intervention because it runs mainly on predefined code, what we call that smart contract. Mm. right? So uh, it is really what we call inclusive financial services that regardless of your status, or your wealth or which country you're from, even the unbanked, they can participate. So there's no border. In that case, anyone with a crypto wallet can participate in it in whatever amount that is comfortable to the user. So there's no discrimination. Mm. Uh, so it actually removes the intermediaries and automate the entire process without human intervention. So in that way, it's much more cost-effective than traditional financial services. Okay. So it is able to provide higher returns than what we call centralized finance or and uh, traditional finances. Okay. Mm. Okay. But when when you mention, and really this is just a clarification point, right? When you mention it's more inclusive, yes, I understand mm. the automation part. Does that mean that you may have a situation where there are some people who maybe don't understand the risks or don't understand the need for a high level of security? Could that potentially happen? 
Uh, yes, it could potentially happen because anyone with a crypto wallet can participate. Yeah. But if the person is like not very well trained mm-hmm. in the security and avoiding scams and all these traps, then they could fall into these traps and scams. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm just imagining a case, hey, I got crypto wallet you don't have, or you better get one, or I don't know, but I just go and get because my friend have it. Then we got a problem. Uh, yeah, right. yeah. uh, ben, how has data security evolved in your observation? What, what are the current day challenges? Uh, okay, data security, and uh, in this case, we were talking about crypto and digital assets, evolved uh, from what we call centralized to decentralized security. Back in the days before Web3, right now we talk about Web3, but Web2 and before that is all about centralized security. So as a user, I don't really care much about my security. I just go to the bank or go to a financial institution. I sign up an account, right? Mm. So the, the platform is supposed to do everything for me. So if I lose my password, I got hacked, or I send my money wrongly, I go to the bank and reset it somehow, right? Mm. But there's a single point of failure there. And also you suffer from like insider attacks, right? Because centralized platform, uh, it is the hackers has a lot of incentive to hack. <laughs> Once I hack it, I got all the money, right? Yeah. But in decentralized, it's web three, we are talking about decentralized uh, decentralized custody, right? So users themselves are supposed to manage their own account or their private key or their digital assets. So in this case, because it's decentralized and distributed, there's no single point of failure. So the hackers have low incentive or very low return to hack individual accounts individually, right? Mm-hmm. So in this case, users are now being responsible for safeguarding their own what we call private keys. But then that's the problem. Most users are not trained or not uh, used to doing that. So that's where also the, the problem comes, where a lot of people lose their private key and there's no one to turn to to reset it or recover it. Yeah. So that's yeah. yeah, the problem, yeah. Yeah, I already have even problem remembering my email password. <laughs> no, but the keys. So, yeah. okay, so if, if I'm trying to understand this, so we are, because the bad guys are constantly evolving, they're, they're getting better and better. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. a case of if, but when, right? So what mm-hmm. we're doing is we are taking away the incentive to hack because it doesn't make sense just one person by one person by one person In, in mm. if, if you get what I, I'm, I'm going at. So how do we conquer this challenge that you mentioned, the fact that there may be no one to help people who have lost their security keys or digital keys? So in that case, we first of all, education is important. But more importantly, I think we need to make the whole process of their own management simple, easy, and convenient okay. so that they don't fall traps. Because a lot of the problems we see nowadays are human errors. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, people forget where they put their seed phrase, their private keys, mm-hmm. or even their password, mm-hmm. and they have no, well, nobody to turn to. So we, if you make the process very kind of what you call idea-proof, uh, that's where Yuki's... Uh, actually came up with this patent where we just say, okay, you don't have to do so much of work. We just use the hardware to do the job for you. So we have a hardware that contains your uh, password, your private keys, your all important data. And then you use another hardware to recover it or backup so that it becomes very easy and easier proof. Just plug and play. So how so does this all, hardware yeah, look yeah. like? Is it like a thumb drive? or uh, It's like a thumb drive, yes. Oh, but it's wow. actually not a thumb drive. Inside there is a cryptographic processor right. that generates your private key and store your private key and do digital signatures and all that. Yeah. Ah, so it's like a more advanced version of these, you know, those bank tokens that we yeah. have. Ah, yes, okay. Yeah, the bank dongles that we used to have. Yeah, yeah. You ever think that one day something like that will just be imprinted into your thumbprint or into your body then you'll never lose it yes, for 
sure. <laughs> possible, yes, possible. That's entirely possible. We'll, in the future, we'll probably just create a chip that does that and maybe put it into the phone or into your glass or your watch yeah. or something they wear on your neck. You know. Mind yeah, control that's also as well. Possible. <laughs> <laughs> but ben, not that. So when, we, when you describe this hardware, really this is a non-invasive way of securing digital assets. Am I correct to say that? Uh, yes, yes. All right. Uh, could you share with us your thoughts on the concept of hot and cold hardware wallets? I mean, what are the potential barriers for entry where consumers are concerned? I mean, what's the pros and cons here? Okay, so basically there are two types of what we call crypto or digital assets uh, wallet. What is hot, what is cold? Uh, hot mm. means that the private keys, which is like the most important password, is always stored online, whether it's in a phone, on your computer, it's always online or uh, on the browser. That problem becomes that it's easier to hack, right? You can suffer virus, Trojan horse, hacking, just phishing attacks. Okay, cold wallet remove that. Cold wallet says that I put my private key in an offline storage, like okay. a hardware wallet. Okay. So because it's offline, there's no way it can be hacked, right? So that becomes a, a more safer way to do it. But then it also comes with its own problem because cold, cold wallet being offline, you have to plug it in every time yes. you want to use it. And then you have to use the hardware wallet's tiny little buttons and tiny little screens to do all the navigation and authorization. So the whole process becomes very complicated complicated and inconvenient and also of course costly right mm. so that is uh, the barrier I feel so uh, what we want to do is make this whole process uh, easier because uh, for us where we start up UK's we uh, we are all veterans in this uh, yeah, all this technology yeah. startup so my own personal experience is that for because I am in the the blockchain industry for the last five years I have seen so many personal experience and friends who just they are so fed up with all this complicated manipulation that's needed to store and manage their private keys. So I was thinking that there needs to be a very easy and convenient yet safe way to do that. And that's how we came up with our UK. Mm, yeah. And this is also a base case for my microchip idea. It's really going to make things a lot easier. But that's in the yeah. future. I mean, mm. I, I want to talk about, it, it, it must be tough because you're a veteran and there are more and more laymen that are trying to get on board. They want to understand it better. What are you guys doing that's helping to make digital security more accessible, more approachable, or even to demystify any myths that might exist? Okay, so one of the biggest problems we see is in Web3 adoption is that because in Web3, all important data, your digital identities, your NFTs, your cryptos, and all this have to be uh, stopped and protected by what I call the private keys, right? And the private keys are a long string of alphanumeric characters that nobody can possibly remember. And so in the traditional crypto world, they came out what is called uh, the seed phrase. Seed phrase is basically 12 to 24 English words that you can replace uh, your this private key with if ever you lose it. But that also makes it very complicated to remember and yeah. write down. And you're not supposed to take photos of it, right? Yeah. Because you think the photos, the photo exists somewhere and someone who can get hold of the photos will have all your private keys. So the whole process becomes very complicated. So what we want to do and we have done that is that, okay, let's remove seed phrase altogether. So instead of seed phrase, then how do you recover your private key if you mm. lose it, right? Mm. So that's where we came up with our patented technology called the UK's hardware. Uh-huh. It is a physical device, right? So it's a physical device that contains your private key and a backup the physical device that actually can be used to backup if you've ever lose your, your private key, your uh, hardware. So you use a hardware to backup a hardware. Of course, you can have multiple hardware to do that. 
So to the user, hardware is much easier to handle. Just plug in and key in a password. That's all you need to do. Right. So it becomes very easy. So it lowers the barrier and more people can come into this space, especially in Web3. And you know that Web3 right now is only about less than 2% of the whole internet population in the world are in mm, Web3. Mm, mm, so there's a lot of 98% are the, that 8% of people are not in because I think all this problem exists. Yeah. yeah. No, but I like the, the idea of what you're doing with the hardware to back up the hardware and, you know, the 12 to 24 characters. I can only use my mother, father and auntie's name for so long. <laughs> when it comes to but a curious point. I, so I have two points that I'm very curious about. So hardware to back up a hardware, say if I've lost my own private key and you've got a hardware to back it up, does that mean that if let's say a stranger finds the key that I've lost, it cannot be used? It cannot be used because every hardware comes with a uh, protected with a password that you set. Okay. So the the uh, any hacker who hack to get hold of the hardware, they still need to know your password, right? So in order to use it. Or on the other hand, if someone hack your password but they don't have the physical device in their hand, they still cannot hack. They still cannot access your private key. So it's a two level of authentication needed. Mm, mm. Yeah. Okay. Second one is is really my own imagination. So help me if I'm I'm going too far with this. I watch too many movies. I, I mean, with Singapore trying to be very fintech hub friendly type of thing right you've got all these innovations in web 3 what are the odds that you can take this into something like the metaverse is it possible to have a virtual key to back up a hardware key if i'm imagining things too much Okay, virtual key, well, we're talking about uh, what we call digital uh, signatures and all those, uh, what we call cryptograms, right? Mm. So, but anything that is software-oriented, it can be hacked because it has to exist online somewhere, right? So, it can be hacked. It, uh, so, that is the risky part. Of course, it can be done as long as uh, the user is able to protect their phone or their computer from being uh, hacked and all that. But the safest way, ultimately, is still on uh, offline hardware devices, right? Because that is definitely confirmed cannot be hacked because it's <laughs> offline. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so much education that, that really needs to be shared on this. But Ben, yes. I guess as some closing thoughts, what do you think is next? What more can be done uh, where Singapore is concerned to further ourselves as a fintech-friendly hub? Okay, Singapore is actually one of the world's first countries to establish a very clear framework for governing crypto and blockchain industry. So that was one of the reasons I came back from overseas five years ago because that is a very good move by the Singapore government, especially MAS, who created the what we call the Payment Services Act that came into effect in January 2019. Right, it further solidifies Singapore as a position uh, which is the world leading crypto and blockchain hub. So now you see a lot of resources, talents, all coming into the Singapore because of this, yeah. right? So I think, but moving forward, I will I think MAS is doing a very good job already and to continue to engage the industry to understand it and so that we can create legal frameworks that makes it possible to innovate but at the same time, make sure that uh, it is regulated and anti-money laundering and all these things, safeguards are put in place. So I think EMS is doing the right way and we are a constant engagement with the MAS on this as well. I appreciate your insight this morning. I've been speaking with Ben Chan, Director for UKIS Technology. Ben, thank you again for your time. Take care. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Thank you. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.